Welcome to the Old Chick Snowship Podcast. I'm your host, Jennifer Arthurton. This podcast is dedicated to helping midlife women step into the inherent power and wisdom of a time of life when they often feel overlooked and underrepresented and even begin to doubt themselves. Each week, we will cover information and inspirational topics along with real stories from real women who are defying cultural stereotypes and perceptions of midlife. Women who are reinventing themselves, starting businesses, chasing their dreams, and tackling challenges they never thought possible. Hey, everybody, and welcome to this episode of the Old Chick Snowship Podcast. I'm your host, Jennifer Arthurton. Today, I am bringing you a ridiculously inspiring reinvention story. My guest today had her life basically turned upside down by COVID and has had to basically reinvent her life. And this is a story of courage and resilience And the most important thing that I got out of this story, and this is where I want to dig deep today, is trusting the unknown. Because the space of the unknown is very, very uncomfortable for most of us, myself included. You know, we want to see the path 10 steps ahead and know exactly where we're going. And when we have to just have trust in what's in front of us without knowing the rest of the story, it makes most of us like curl up into a ball and (laughs) stop doing whatever it is we're doing. So my guest today is Michelle Fishburne, who uh, has written accidentally, I guess, but it has also written a book, which we're going to dig into as well, too. And I want to talk more about that because I think it's I love stories. And I think what you've written is absolutely cool. So uh, welcome, Michelle. Thank you very much, Jennifer. I'm happy to be on here. I love the name of your podcast. Thank you. Thank you. So tell us a little bit about how COVID upended your life and kind of where like where it's got you to now. Okay. Well, on January 1st, 2021, I had I was, I think, probably still in the Caribbean, but I was coming back from a wonderful Christmas vacation with my family. And I was telling everybody how much I loved my job, being a national director for partnerships and events and publicity for a national nonprofit. And so I was just so excited about my life and I was pinching myself. And then on January 17th, an unknown virus, maybe, right? An unknown virus attacked my eighth cranial nerve and took out my hearing and it took out my vestibular functioning, which means I couldn't walk and I couldn't hear out of my right ear. And so I was using a walker and I learned how to walk again in a straight line. Uh, That took a while, about, mm, I don't know, a couple months. And my hearing's still not back. And so I now hear with my left ear, and but I can walk now. But at nighttime, if I look up, sometimes it goes whoop, a little bit like that. So that happened on January 17th. And then a little bit later, when COVID hit, I got laid off from my job. And I thought, no problem. I will find another job. Well, I was 57 years old. And even though not many people were hiring in the COVID spring, some people were, I submitted 86 customized cover letters. And by the middle of July, I had nothing. And um, I also had a senior in high school at home with me, my youngest, and she was heading off to college. So on July 31st, when the lease on my post-divorce house was up, I had to figure out where I was going to go next. And because I didn't know where I was going to get a job, I figured it didn't make any sense to rent a place, another place. 
And so I had my 2006 motorhome because I had homeschooled and road schooled my kids when they were younger. And I thought, well, I'll move into the motorhome with my dog buddy. And then what will I do? And so that was kind of a key moment. It was about two weeks before the movers were coming and I had to figure out where I was going to put my stuff. So I sat there and I thought, well, what am I going to do? And I thought, well, I'm moving to the motorhome. And I thought, well, what will I do with the motorhome? I thought, well, I'll bring it to the beach. And then I realized that if I was waking up every morning at the beach, trying desperately to get a job or consult my way to a job and it wasn't working, I would be so panicked. And so I decided, well, I'll just start driving. Okay, I'm just going to start driving. I know how to drive out to Yellowstone and back in a heartbeat from North Carolina. I know how to do that. I'll just start driving. And I thought, okay, now I need a project. And I knew I couldn't go back to the national parks that I had visited during those halcyon days with my kids because I would just be sobbing the whole time because I don't have littles anymore. And so I thought, well, I'll do, um, I thought about Humans of New York, which was a project where Brandon Stanton photographed thousands of people, got their stories. One of my favorites. And shared them out. And I thought, I'll do Americans of the Pandemic. Great. And I have a camera. I know how to take photos. I know how to interview people. So a friend developed a website and I headed out on September 11th, 2020 and ended up driving 12,000 miles all over the United States, interviewing people about their lives during the pandemic. And it was supposed to just be a project to get another job. But people started to say, Michelle, this is history. Like, really, this is just a project. You know, this needs to end up in a permanent place. So it ended up in a book published by UNC Press and Duke called Who We Are Now, Stories of What Americans Lost and Found During the COVID-19 Pandemic. And that's my story. And by the way, I do have a job now. I work part-time as a public relations professional for a global pharmaceutical consulting firm, but it's part-time because I want to save some time to continue to do what I found now that I really love. Wow. This is an incredible story that you like literally just told us in five minutes, (laughs) but there is so much that I want to unpack in that story. I mean, it's incredible, right? So you go from being divorced, having a health crisis, right? Your kids leaving home, losing your job, facing the uncertainty of a no job, b nowhere to live really, because well, we didn't know where you were going to be, right? And then like, did you not at some point go, what the hell? Like, you know, did you break down and sob? Did you, you know, think poor me? Like, did you wallow in it? Like everything that seemed to be happening to you kind of all at once? I didn't wallow in that part. There was something else I wallowed in and I'll get that into that for a second. But when I I lost my job, I got a big whiteboard. I'm a big fan of whiteboards. I got a really super huge whiteboard and I had just been told about the book, Believe It about the woman who started a cosmetics company. And she literally had... Oh, Jamie. Yeah. She literally had like $300 left when she went on QVC for the first time. And she didn't go with the experts' views about what she should do. She went with her gut. And it ended up being incredible success. And so she was saying, you know, have this limitless feeling or like a commitment to limitless. So back in March or whatever I had on the big whiteboard, I wrote limitless on the top. And then I wrote all the things I enjoyed and dreams I had had earlier and places I love to go. And I didn't edit edit any of it. I just kind of threw it up on the board. And then I stood back and I left it up there for about a week. 
I think I, and I also took a photo of it. And so I already had this, there are no limits mind frame when August 1st came and I had no house, no spouse, no job, and no kid to take care of. But that having been said, after we moved out of the house, my daughter and I went to Hilton Head and stayed in Airbnb, you know, before she went to college. And I was sitting by the ocean on one beautiful day with my toes in the ocean. And I thought, I get it now. I get why people decide I don't want to live anymore. Now, that was not me saying I was going to take an action, but me saying the best part of my life is over. My kids are, I have no kids to take care of anymore. And because I'm too old, I can't have a career that makes my heart sing. So I'm just going to have a job that pays an income and that all seemed very gray and dark and bleak and boring and yucky and milk toast to me on that gorgeous, beautiful day under the blue sky and the green sea and the yellow sun. I, I couldn't see any color. So I did hit a moment. Wow. You know, what you just said is so interesting. So there's two things I want to unpack there. First of all, that feeling of you know, like the best part of my life is over. And I can so relate to this because on my own reinvention journey, I wallowed in that little space for quite a while, right? Like the best part of my life is over. Nobody starts over at 50. I'm supposed to be riding off into the retirement sunset with a pot of gold under my arm, you know, on the arm of a handsome man. None of that is my reality. (laughs) Everybody around me has got their shit together. What is wrong with me? Like all of this, right? Like, I bought into all of the cultural narratives of what it means to be a 50-year-old woman, right? And I stayed there for a while. I threw myself a big old pity party, which looks like sounds like your pity party was a lot smaller <laughs> than mine. It doesn't, but, it doesn't mean it doesn't come back sometimes. This is one of these things where yes. you the pep talks are necessary. When you have a life that is different, than the life of the majority of people around you and the life that is different Mm -hmm. than the script that you bought into for so many years. Yes. There are moments where you say, but it really should. And then you say, no. And so when I have those moments where I really should have X amount of money, I went to UVA law school. I was an international trade attorney before I had kids in DC flying all over the world. I had an entire closet full of black tie dresses in Washington. So when I go back to the, if I hadn't stopped working and taking care of my kids, I would have blank by now. I should have blank. And so then I stop and I go, you're being silly. Put a value on all of those years being at home with your kids. And I'm like, you can't. And then I move on. So it, it, you know, it happens in a flicker and then I ground myself again and then I am okay again. Yeah. And that is so beautiful because you're absolutely right. You know, like we, I think as humans, we compare ourselves to other people because of our pack nature, right? And like, oh, why does my life not look like somebody else's life? But reminding yourself, first of all, the thing that you said about limitless, the only constraints we have on ourselves, and tell me if you agree with this, are the constraints that we put on ourselves, right? And most of those constraints are based on, you know, our past experience, right? Like, I've only done, like, I, this was my job, so I can only do that. Or this was my experience, so that's all that's available to me, right? Where uh, the reality is, is that we are limitless, and we can pretty much do anything, <laughs> 
right? That we set our minds to. And that, you know, from that place of limitless and really buying into that, which, okay, I'm glossing over this, but it's it's a bit of internal work to get to that, <laughs> to that space, right? But from that place of limitless, we can allow ourselves to trust the unfolding of what's in front of us because we realize anything is possible. Well, also sometimes, yeah, also sometimes. So I've learned a lot about scarcity and abundance and I never thought of those two words together as a principle until I was interviewing Romy uh, for who we are now. And she is a yoga instructor and she was talking about how wherever there's scarcity, there's abundance. And so that has also helped me now because it's framed up because even what you were saying about limitless. So often when we think of our limits or what's scarce. So sometimes I say, mm-hmm. I don't know my nose is itchy. Sometimes I say, um, what is scarce for me is blank. And usually I've overblown it. So I have a new way I could do this for myself is that I name the scarcity and I frame it up and I don't let myself catastrophize it. I just sort of name the scarcity And then I put it to the side and then I say, okay, what do I have in abundance? And usually that list is long, 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 long. If you get quiet and you think about what you have in abundance. So they say, when you get lost in a forest, you should stop and sit down, be quiet, check out your surroundings, and then take assessment of what you do know about what you do have. Mm-hmm. And I think life is like that too, when we get lost. And so I'm very good at making my scarcity look super huge. And then when I try to do it, I'm like, okay, name it. And then I name it and I'm like, oh, and how big is it? And then I name it. I'm like, okay, it's not quite as big. And then I park it and I go to the abundance. Now, my dad used that philosophy with his colleague to save the astronauts on Apollo 13. So it's this, and when you think about the phrase, uh, necessity is the mother of invention, really what that's saying is scarcity is the mother of invention. And so we all do, we all invent. I used to do invention education. We all invent. Workarounds are inventions. So whenever you can't do something, even something simple, you think, okay, what can I do? Like we all do it. But there's something that's emotional that's tied up when we think about it with like what we do with our lives, with our time. Mm, mm. Oh, I love that reframe so much, right? Like the polarity of scarcity and abundance, right? Actually being together, the flip side of a coin, basically. Yes. I, I love that. Tell me a little bit more about the astronauts thing that you just read. Just, just dropped that. I don't want to gloss over that one. Like, that was important. So if you watched Apollo 13, there was a point at which they said the command module and the lunar module are coming in together, the service module. And they should not still be together because the lunar module was supposed to still be on the moon. And the trajectory was perfect. And they needed to somehow separate the two, get rid of the lunar module without changing the trajectory. Well, they couldn't turn the motors on because as you might remember, they had that image of the coffee pot and they said, this is all the electricity we have. It can run a coffee pot. It was not enough to run the motors. Wow. And so my dad and his colleague at Grumman Aerospace were tasked with trying to figure out how to separate the two. So the scarcity was, we ain't got no electricity, right? The abundance was, what do we have in abundance? Well, we didn't land on the moon. 
So all those canisters of oxygen that we had for use on the moon, we're not going to need. And so what, you know, when you blow up a balloon and you go, and it's like, it makes that funny noise. And then if you let go, it goes backwards. They calibrated just enough right of release of oxygen between the lunar module and the service or command module to just, once they had that certain amount of pressure, they just unlatched it and it floated away. Oh my goodness. What, what? Like, I mean, in hindsight, like what a beautiful lesson that your father, like, I mean, his work is obviously very important, but what you took away from that, right? And then use that for in your, like, I truly believe that when we're faced with whatever situation it is in our lives, that we have everything we need inside of us to find our way forward, Right. And this is for me, as you're talking, is like the most beautiful example of that. It's right. Like you reach this place and then you turned inwards and you're like, okay, well, what do I have? Right. You pulled up lessons from your father to, you know, you, you know, looked at all of your experience, like all of this stuff. And you then began the process of reinvention based on what you had, which, I mean, if you're at all into, you know, universal law, law of attraction, any of that kind of stuff. I mean, that's exactly what you did. And it's such a beautiful, I'm like, I'm, I'm taking lessons for myself and downloading (laughs) for myself as a reminder, right? Like that we can't create from scarcity. We can only create from abundance and what we are always in abundance. It's just a question of whether we see it or not. That's so true. It's so true. And there's also in terms of being, well, I've learned how to get comfortable with uncertainty. And that's never been me. A friend of mine from law school, I saw her last weekend and she said, what? Michelle Fishburne has no plan? I said, no, I know it's shocking, but that's like my life now. And it still is for a little while. So I'm still very much in uncertainty for a lot of reasons. And, um, And so I've gotten used to it. And one of the things that's helped me, and you and I talked about this a little bit before we started, is one of my favorite stories. I call it the the old man in the ancient village story. So um, one day, this old man in this ancient village who lived out on the edge of it, and he had one son and a horse, and they had crops just to sustain themselves. Well, the horse ran away. And so the people of the village came out and said, oh, old man, this is so terrible. It's bad because you're now going to starve because you won't be able to, to do your crops. And he said, it could be bad or it could be good. They said, old man, you have to admit this is bad. He said, it could be bad or it could be good. So they walked away scratching their heads. Next day, the son goes out and he finds the horse and he also brings back a stallion. People come out and they said, this is so good. This is good. You have to admit this is good. And we're so happy for you. And the old man says, well, it could be good or it could be bad. They're like, oh, he's lost his mind. Next day, we're almost at the answer. Next day, the son tries to tame the stallion and he breaks his leg. So the people come out and they said, look, old man, you have to admit this is bad. And he said, it could be bad or it could be good. The next day, the army came and took every able-bodied man from the village off to war that none of them would ever return from and they wouldn't take the young man with the broken leg. And so I, that story helps ground me so completely because I, I have data points in my life where the, that has been true, where I thought something was bad and then I ended up being grateful. 
And with my kids, sometimes when something bad happens, I'll say, well, you know, the old man, they're like, yeah, yeah, the old man in the ancient village. And But one time I was not feeling great about something. And my oldest said to me, well, you know, mom, the old man in the ancient village. And so now they're repeating it back to me. They've so, they've so <laughs> processed this truth. I mean, it is a truth. Yeah, it is a truth. Yeah, it is. Well, what I love about that story is, you know, when something happens, we automatically label it, mm-hmm. right? Good or bad, right? And then based on how we label that thing, it then brings the emotion, you know, and it puts us into that like mindset of scarcity or um, powerlessness or whatever it is based on that label. If we could avoid putting the label on it, like, like the old man did. Right. And I, I mean, I heard you tell this story before and I was like, Oh God, I am so stealing that story because I love it. If we can just say, like be neutral without that judgment that says, Oh, well this could be good or this could be bad. I don't know. I'm going to wait and see is so powerful because Looking back on my own story now, all the things, the horrible things that I saw that happened to me, like that I judged as horrible things, right? Like finding myself divorced, unemployed, an empty nester and bedridden with a stress related illness, like kind of all happened at the same time. I judged all of those as in bad, 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 bad. And that put me in the dumper for a long time. When the reality is all of those things are, in fact, the greatest gifts I have ever gotten right? Because it alerted me to things in my life that I was unconscious to, things about myself that I needed to be aware of. Because I mean, I always say this, right? Like, we are the creators of our own lives. And if we don't like what we what we have, we actually got ourselves. That's there. right. That's, that's <laughs> right? exactly right. And the beautiful part of that is we have the power to get ourselves out of it as well, too. Um, but being able to witness something happening in your life without that judgment, staying in that kind of neutral observer zone, it could be good or it could be bad. I'm going to wait and see. Well, so so right? I think about yes. my kids and, you know, I have confidence that I can always be OK, but I don't have confidence that my kids can always be OK. And one there's thing, something called the circle of security, which is a new sort of philosophy about good parenting. And this is how it goes. You know how when you have a baby and they start to crawl off your lap and they go and they hurt themselves and they put their arms up and then you, you hug them and then they crawl out of your lap and then they go maybe a little bit further the next time. Well, that happens throughout the course of you and your child's life. And when you're succeeding is when they get further and further away from you doesn't mean they're not going to come running back and want that hug and in your lap. And once you give them that hug, they're going to go further now. So there's that part of it, but there's also the part of when a kid falls down and you go, then the kid thinks, Oh, this is bad. (laughs) Right? So even with that, a lot of young mothers, we all instinctively, and then we start to see other mothers that are like, just calm for a second. Let's see what how they are reacting. And sometimes the kid looks at you like, are you going to freak out? Is this a freak out moment? And if you say, okay, pick yourself up. They're like, okay, pick myself up. And so I'm still doing that with my 23-year-old and my 21-year-old, where if I freak out, they think it's bad. And sometimes it's not. 
Amazing. Amazing. I love what you just what you just said about, you know, that like the circle of security, right? And again, people kind of taking on how whatever it is they think, like energetically, right? Like when we think, oh my God, this is horrible, like we then ripple that out into the world, <laughs> right? Mm-hmm. And we will find all the reasons why that is in fact horrible reflected back to us. Whereas when we stay neutral, right, now we're open to, oh, is this good or is this bad? And we have a different frame at which we're looking at the world. Yeah. Like that is such a powerful story. And like to those of you listening, if you walk away from this podcast episode with one thing, let it be that story. And I am so going to be telling that to everybody <laughs> I know. In fact, I am tell it to my daughter this afternoon. <laughs> it's it's grounding. Um, it's, I, it's really grounding. That. I mean, sto- stories really matter because it really, stories, stories they matter. do because, and I was even reading something about empathy. So if you tell somebody this is a recent study. If you tell somebody that you were eating ice cream and how creamy it was and the flavor and that the cone was very crunchy, actually the brain waves they've documented in that other person's brain, in the listener's brain, actually go through the same process they would go through as if they were eating the ice cream themselves. And so the, oh, and, yes. and then they were, then they extrapolate. I don't know if they have, they probably can't have evidence on this, but the idea is when we hear about somebody else having been an empty nester and lost a job and divorce and then bedridden with, with stress. And if you had sort of explained more of that, I would be able to understand better, not of course, understand your experience, but kind of try it on a little bit that I might be able to learn a tiny, tiny bit, like a microdose, if you will, from it. Yeah. Yeah. I love that because I think stories are incredibly important, which is one of the reasons why I started this podcast. So, you know, when I eventually dusted myself off and was like, okay, girl, you have now an opportunity to create the life you want. And I was like, okay, I just need some inspiration. I need to know what's possible. And I started searching for, okay, where are all these like super badass, you know, women in their 50s, 60s and 70s doing incredible things. And I didn't find much out there. And so I was like, eventually these stories would come to me and I'd be like, oh my goodness, that's so good to know. First of all, that I'm not the only one. And it opened up like every time I heard a story of a woman who did something that she didn't think she could do, it opened up another part of my own brain. Right. And so that's why I'm sharing your story today, because there are people listening who are going to see themselves in you and see their lives in your story. And it will open up a seed of possibility that wasn't there before. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right. Um, so that leads me to your book, which I love this concept so much. Like, what was it that prompted you to, to go out and want to hear these stories in the first place? I kept being surprised. So when I was at home in Chapel Hill during the pandemic and somebody would say, oh, well, because of the pandemic, blah, 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 blah. And I'd say, oh, I hadn't thought about that. So, for example, I think the first experience like that was, were you on Facebook and did you see the view from my window or whatever it was or people, there was a website group I mean, a Facebook group where you could post a photo from your window, no matter where you were in the world, right? Yeah, I heard about that. It was so fabulous. And I would get up every day and I'd go see other people's views. And sometimes they put a little bit of what they're going through. So I started to be very, very curious about 
about other people and how they were experiencing it. And then when I saw the Spaniards and the Italians on their balconies, um, of their apartment buildings where they couldn't get out, right? And uh, because it was such a strict quarantine and they're singing and they're playing instruments. And and mm. I thought, wow. And then even here at home, my daughter had a friend who was a ballet dancer and she said, well, you know, he can't, he can't practice. He can't do the lifts. Like there's only so much you can do alone in your own apartment because the muscle memory that you need for the lifts for ballet and the interaction you need with the other dancers. And I thought, wow what are ballet dancers doing? And so I, so I really think it was actually the ballet dancers thing that kind of got to me. And I thought this must've really affected a bunch of professions in very, very different and profound ways. And I finally into my, well into my 12,000 miles, I finally found my ballet dancer story in Yuma, Arizona. Wow. Wow. So here you are, I mean, obviously you start this hearing other people's stories, but you're not thinking book at this point. You're not like, oh, hey, I'm going to go write a book, right? You're just like, I'm just curious about people's stories. And so it was just following your own curiosity. Is that- I needed something to do. I needed something to do. I couldn't find a job. And so I was very curious and I kind of did a run forest run thing. But another thing I learned from a woman who is an executive director of a nonprofit in- Georgia, another woman I interviewed, she said to me, well, you know, Michelle, action is the antidote to fear. So she was talking about something in her own 2020 experience. But then I realized that by just starting to drive, that action is the antidote to fear. Oh, yes. Yes. So, okay. (laughs) I, I have goosebumps here. I'm like, I'm covered in goosebumps because here's the thing, like, you're in this place where you're faced with a whole ton of uncertainty, right? right? And this little nudge inside you says, get in your motorhome and drive. Mm-hmm. Like it was telling you what to do, right? And you honored that thing. Whereas most of us would be like, uh, get in my motorhome and drive. Like why, where, what, what is that going to do for me? That's, you know, you start questioning it and challenging it and, you know, and basically downplaying this little voice inside you that's telling you what to do. And the journey of reinvention, I mean, I've said this a hundred times and I think I've heard you say it. It's an inside job. It starts from the inside. You are being led from the inside. If you just pay attention to the little voices that are coming up inside you and start listening. So, so, right? so Jennifer, so, now I, you're making me think of something I'm going to cut you off because I had to jump in before I forget it, which is I keep telling people yeah. that I am naive. Okay. And in fact, the author blog that they made me write for UNC Press Um, They're like, you have to write a blog. And I thought, oh, I don't want to write a blog because first of all, Jennifer, I didn't write this book. These are a hundred first person stories. All I did was collect them. So number one, I don't think of myself as an author. I'm sort of a collector. I've shared them out. Number two. So I said the first sentence of my blog, because I really didn't want to write it, was I am often very naive. Now, I'm actually thinking about that word naive because and about being comfortable in the uncertainty because naive means you should have known, right? You should have judged better. And so maybe it's not that I'm often naive. It's that I just have this incredible confidence that whatever lies ahead, I can handle it. Mm. 
And how have you developed that confidence to know that you can handle whatever shows up in front of you? Have I told you the story about the old man in the ancient village? (laughs) 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 I think that's how. I think that's how. Because I understand how true that is. And it's so simple. Mm -hmm. You know, I think we like want to... And I'm like, my brain loves to complicate things like (laughs) I'm the queen of analysis paralysis, but it's so simple, right? That you can just go back to that story and be like, oh, yeah, okay, sure. I can. It could be good. It could be bad. And that's what's given you the confidence. Okay, you're just rocking. (laughs) (laughs) That's a simple story. (laughs) Oh, see how important stories are. Yes. So. Okay. So here you are, you know, basically following this inner nudge. I have, my first inner nudge says, I'm going to get in my RV and drive. Right. Mm-hmm. Right. And then you're like, oh, I just want to talk to people about their stories just because I find this interesting. And then, you know, then you're like, oh, I think I'm just going to document this story. And then the nudge says, well, maybe these people are right. Maybe it is a book. Right. So it's such a beautiful story of just like, you know, being in that place of uncertainty and then just tuning inwards. Okay, what do I, what feels right to do now? And trusting, trusting that, which self trust is a huge, huge thing that I talk about all the time because as women, we have been taught to not trust ourselves. And so trusting ourselves is, in fact, a little bit of an act of rebellion <laughs> and learning to trust that inner voice, right? And not need it validated or, you know, by somebody to say, oh, yeah, you're right. Well, what, what choice do you have? I mean, ultimately, right? Like, so let's say right. that. All right. So let's go to the book Who Moved My Cheese, right? Right. I love that book, too. In the <laughs> 90s, my mom's like, you need to read Who Moved My Cheese. So I did. It's so short and it's wonderful. And so it's another go to. So let's yeah. just talk about this. You're the mouse and you and your friend, Fred, you both go to this little, through this maze, to this little room every day and you get your cheese. One day you get there and there's no cheese. The next day you get there and there's no cheese. The next day you get there's no cheese. And you say, and really at this point you do, you have two choices, right? So this goes back to the trust yourself thing. So Fred says, I'm staying here. I think the cheese is coming. So Fred's trusting himself in this story. And then there's the me mouse that's like, I don't think it's coming. I'm going to go check out the rest of the maze and I'll find another cheese. I mean, I know I will because there's going to be more cheese. It just may taste different, may smell different. I may not like it as much, but I might like it more. So I'm going to go out. You sure you don't want to come with me? Fred says, no, fam, I'm good. I'll stay here. So I trust myself and Fred's trusting himself. Now, What we don't know, actually, from the Who Moved My Cheese story, Jennifer, and I just realized this, is we don't know what happened to Fred. I mean, the cheese actually might have showed up on day six, right? So he trusted himself. And, you know, when you are in any situation in life where you have to do something and omission is doing something too, right? Not doing something is doing, like we're faced with this all the time. If we don't trust ourselves, then we have nothing, Really? Like, because how can you have hope if you don't trust yourself in the present moment? And if you can trust yourself in the present moment, you can trust yourself one second from now. Wow. Wow. That is so powerful. Another like really powerful analogy. And I never, you're right. I mean, I read 
I had the cheese book presented to me many times throughout my corporate career and never viewed it in that way, but it's such a beautiful perspective. And, you know, a lot of the women who end up in my community are women who like, who are set, who say, I know I want something different for my life and I have no idea what it is and I have no idea how to go get it. Like, how do I even figure this thing out? And my answer is always go inside what feels right. And that was the same thing that happened in my own reinvention journey. Like I had no idea who I was or what I even wanted from my life. And my only thought was go to the forest, go to the forest, go inside, but get a whiteboard, get a really, really, really big whiteboard and don't judge. Just throw up there what you love, what you enjoyed doing when you were younger, some dreams that you had abandoned, throw them all up there because sometimes Actually, when we go inside, I mean, you have to go inside to put it on a board. But when you go inside and you leave it inside and you think you can figure all that out with all inside and you don't have some external like codification, representation, validation of all those things, it's easy to just have a little thought go across the screen that really you should have grabbed and gone, wait a minute, I did have yes. that dream for 10 years and I let go of it. And if you let that little thought just go past you as you're being inside and you don't put it out someplace externally, you might've missed an opportunity. Yes. I love that. My version of the whiteboard started with my journal that turned into a wall of sticky notes. There we go. Right. So I would, you know, whatever would, would come up, I would explore it in my journal And then I would take that and I would just stick it on the wall. And then I ended up with this whole wall of of sticky notes. But I think the point is, is like, like you said, these things come and they go like they flash through your brain or and it might just stay there. But as soon as you speak it, as soon as you put it outside of yourself, as soon as you write it, you're giving it a place to live outside of you. And in that place outside of you is where it will get the energy to grow. Agreed. Agreed. uh, Agreed. Because also I think uh, if you... If you had a dream for like 10 years and you didn't pursue it, and then you're sort of in your 50s, and when it comes up again inside you and you go, oh, well, you know, there was that time I wanted to do X, but that didn't work because of blank. And then you move to the next thought. I mean, that would be so natural to do, right? But but then if you put it out there. And so where I am right now is the book, quite honestly, has not done well at all has not done well at all. I think it's because the people who have read it, they love it. They just love it. And they find it so uplifting and it's really helping them process what they went through. But it's not the time for it, probably. I mean, for some people it is. For some people, they have to have it now. But in seven years when we're doing the 10-year anniversary, I figure I'll be a very busy lady because everybody's going to want to be using it for book groups and stuff. Because, right? So, but in the right now, this year has not taken the trajectory that I thought it would. And I need to spend the next couple of months setting up my young kids that just graduated from college into their next phase. But starting September, it's my turn again. And I have to figure out what that next thing is. Is it going to be another book? Is it going to be speaking? But speaking won't fill my heart enough because I won't be doing it as often. So I'm back to having to reinvent myself again. But I think one of the cool things about being able to reinvent ourselves, this is another one of my things, is I think of us now as all as kaleidoscopes. When you have a kaleidoscope, it has a certain number of like colorful flecks and stuff, right? That's how I think of people. We're all born with a certain set of colorful flecks, right? 
And we see a certain pattern when we're students and then a certain pattern, you know, as life changes, sometimes the kaleidoscope is dropped. And when you pick it up and you look through it, you're like, oh my God, <laughs> right? Now, now look, the pattern looks like this. And sometimes we change the kaleidoscope's trajectory a little bit and we go too much. But um, I think one of the cool things about change is that we get to see all these different versions of ourselves during our yes. lives. Like when my father passed in the fall, I was down there because Hurricane Ian hit their house and I brought the motorhome down to help them. And then he fell and broke his hip. And while he was in the hospital, I lived in my motorhome in the parking lot of the hospital for five days. And I was there with my dad. And that was a different version of myself than I'd ever, ever seen. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I totally agree with that. I mean, I have met parts of myself on this journey that I didn't even know existed, like dimensions of who I am. And this is the thing I say this all the time, too, is like sometimes our experience can actually, you know, our experience is valuable, like our life experience, but it can also keep us stuck because we tend to think we are our experience, right? When really we're not, it's just that that's what's happened to us and that's what we've had to deal with. And that there are so many more dimensions of ourselves that, every, you know, when we choose different experiences, we open up new dimensions, right? And it's been, yeah, to your kaleidoscope, you know, it's like the, the pattern looks different. It's still me, right? But now it's like a different set of colorful dots and a different pattern. And isn't that cool right? that we and get to have to, that? That we, you know, I know, I hope to rearrange that pattern many, many times in the <laughs> decades to come. Right. Um, but whenever I'm comfortable, we, we whenever just... I'm comfortable, I would never like affirmatively choose discomfort or uncertainty to see a new pattern. So, and there might True. be some people who do, who say, ah, I'm just getting too bored. I think I'm going to change things up and make things uncomfortable. And there are people God love them who do that, but that's not me. So, <laughs> yeah, me either. <laughs> yeah, and yeah, that's so true, right? And sometimes, and so this is really the life happening for me, not to me, right? Like sometimes mm -hmm. circumstances come to shake you up, to change the picture of the kaleidoscope and allow you to explore different dimensions of yourself, which. How lucky, like you said, how lucky are we that this is the experience we get to have? What, out of all the stories that you heard, are there ones that particularly resonate of people, the impact of COVID and how it changed them? Because that really is shaking up the kaleidoscope for a lot of people. A lot of people. <laughs> a lot of people. I think I'll give you one of my favorite stories. Her name is Christina Wong. K-R-I-S-T-I-N-A, last name is Wong, W-O-N-G. I'm spelling it because your listeners might want to look her up. So Christina was a comedian in LA and she had just run for sort of the oh, Korean yeah. political office, like Koreatown or whatever political office in, in LA. And yeah, she was yeah. going to do a national tour during 2020 using her campaign experience. And she had just opened in LA, the LA Times wrote it up. And she's kind of, you know, not new to her career, but she's been working on a long time, but she's not new to like being nationally known. And so she was so excited and she was doing another one of her tour, like her second or third show and COVID shut everything down. So now she's at home and she doesn't like being non-essential and uh, needs something to do. So she starts making masks on her Hello Kitty sewing machine and she then puts out on Facebook, hey, is there anybody that needs a mask? 
Well, a lot of people did that, but somehow hers turned into a volunteer group with volunteers all over the country. They made over 350,000 masks for vulnerable communities. And then she did a one-woman show off-Broadway in November 2021 that got her the Pulitzer Prize uh, finalist for drama. And then she just got a 550000 unrestricted cash award as a Dars Duke Artist Fellow. And so, but when I talked to Christina, it was in January 2021. So she was still doing the masks. Everything was still shut down. Everything was still incredibly uncertain. But by helping others and by being part of a community, she helped herself, you know, and and I think a lot of us women get that, that when we are other focused, that it's, it's easier to put up with whatever discomfort or uncertainty we have. And I, and that was part of my journey is that if I had sat around at the beach and thought about, oh my gosh, what am I going to do every day? That would have been disastrous. But because I was driving and having to meet people and listening to their stories and being a hundred percent there for their stories, I was very other focused. I was thinking about other people all the time and not myself. And that really helped. Uh, Yeah, because the other part is, is, you know, when we can trust the unfolding of things, sometimes it happens in ways we can't predict. So, you know, like she thinks, okay, you know, I'm going to be a comedian. I'm going to have this national tour. I'm going to get the recognition, right? And she thought it would look like this. This is what I'm going to do. And then... But it didn't, I mean, she got where she got, right? Like she got there, but it looked completely unconventionally. And she was driven by what was inside her again, too. I just want to help out. I want to be of service. And then the thing that she wanted actually rolled out in a completely different way than she could have possibly imagined it. And so sometimes, I mean, I say this all the time, you know, whenever I have an intention or a dream or a desire, I always say this or something better, please. Right. Because I only know what I know. And maybe there's something even greater in store for me, (laughs) right. That I can't yet see. Right. And I always say, let it unfold in the best and highest of everyone involved. So I'm kind of letting go of the how, right. Just knowing that this is the thing that I want. And I think that's the important lesson. So like with the book, I ended up doing that. And somebody said to me the other day, wow, that's great that you could get there, right? We're like, you know what? The timing for this book is not now. The people who read it now are getting value. But this is like a seven-year tulip. And I'm good with that. I have to plant Mm. it now. I mean, now is the time to plant. Yes. It's just not the time to harvest. Okay. Yeah. This is so good. And thank you for saying that because yesterday I was actually visiting my chiropractor who's been working on this incredible human compassion app. And he's been working on this thing for five years. And I've been talking to him about it for five years. And, you know, he never let go of the idea, but he just kept doing what felt right, doing what felt right. And he was explaining to me how, you know, he's looking for uh, funding for the app, venture capital funding, and everything is happening now. Everything that he dreamed about five years ago is actually coming to reality at this particular point. And I said to him, thank you for reminding me that sometimes things take time and that we have to trust not only the process, but we have to trust the timing of things as well too. And again, just keeping ourselves in that this could be good or this could be bad, or let's see how this unfolds is exactly where we need to be, right? Mm -hmm. As opposed to, well, that didn't work out. I mean, you know, I said to him, I was like, At year two, I probably would have been like, okay, this isn't working out, pivot. (laughs) 
Right. Right. And he said, I, he said, oh gosh, I thought about that so many times. And he said, I just kept getting pulled back into it. Right. He, he said, I just kind of knew I had this thing inside me. Right. And I just kind of knew. So I would come back to it. And I was like, thank you. Thank you for reminding me. Well, A, thank you for the adjustment. And B, thank you for reminding me that everything has its perfect time, which is exactly what you just reiterated again. Oh, so many great lessons in this episode. <laughs> I hope people listening are like loving this as much as I am because I literally like have goosebumps all over me and in hearing your story. It's so freaking incredible. So where can people okay, first of all, what is the name of the book? Is who are we now or where it's are we now? Who we are now. Who we, who are, we are now. now stories of what Americans lost and found during the COVID nineteen pandemic. And it's okay. Everybody listening, go get this book. Like if you take away anything from this episode as well, I want you to be remember the power of stories, right? So even if you feel compelled to go get that book, there might be a story in that that resonates with you that is a reflection, a mirror of your own experience that you can take something from. And this is me sharing Michelle's story so that we I mean, I've taken so many lessons from your story. And I hope other people listening are taking lessons from your story. And that we can all share story more often, right? Because the, A, it's a powerful point of connection between humanity. B, there are so many lessons, like we're mirror, every story we hear is mirror of our own, yes, right? right? And of ourselves. Right. And we can learn from each other. If we oh. don't learn from each other, it's sad, you know? Um, in fact, even with the book, yeah. we don't have photos in the book because what I realized is that people needed just to hear the words because if they heard the words, they would let the story settle inside them. And I think there's something in every story, all hundred of them for everyone that, and, and it's not the kind of book that you race through. You just kind of put on your bedside and you read a couple stories at a time and you process it and you have thoughts and remembrances. And, and that's the people who have really loved the book. That's a lot of them have done that gone slowly. And so if people want to find out more about it, I have a website with a very in, easy name, which is who we are now.us. And on there, they can find me, they can find my social media, they can find out about the book. And there are also some stories on there that aren't in the book with photos. And so people can uh, start oh, cool. going into some of the stories. I am going to go check that out. I will definitely be reading this book <laughs> for sure. I mean, so incredible. Thank you. Thank you for sharing your powerful story with us. I mean, I cannot wait to hear the unfolding. I mean, reinvention is not a destination. <laughs> reinvention is a journey. And we are all on this journey. And I'm so excited to see where, you know, the trust and of the unfolding takes you next. So I will definitely be following along. We'll be definitely staying in touch. Thank you, Jennifer. And I am um, looking forward to following you on social media and listening to more of your podcasts because I'm continually learning and being inspired by what you're doing. So thank you. Thank you. So to those of you listening, I hope you got as excited as I did in and as goosebumpy <laughs> as I did in listening to this story today. There's so many great lessons. If you liked what you heard, it would be a, a great honor if you would go give us a rating, a review. And better yet, because we're talking about stories and sharing stories, like share this episode with your friends, share that with your family or anybody you think that can you know, learn from Michelle's stories or even from Michelle's book. So please go check it out. And until next time, I can't wait 
to share the next guest with you guys. All right. Until next time. Thank you for listening to the Old Chicks No Shit podcast. If you like what you heard, the best compliment you can give is to share this podcast with a friend, subscribe, rate and review our podcast on iTunes or wherever it is that you listen in.